1: Put down that smartphone and listen to me. I'm Matthew Milligan, professional musician and lifelong Weird Al fan. Each week, I'm joined by professional podcaster and close personal friend, Matt Kelly, to take a dive off the deep end into the vast career of pop culture icon, Weird Al Yankovic on our show, Weird Algorithm. Along with some very special guests from the worlds of music and comedy, we tackle every song, every television appearance, and every bit of sketch comedy Al has produced in chronological order covering the good old days of My Bologna and Eat It, the fun zone of Tacky and White and Nerdy, and everything in between. As we go, we're ranking the songs, albums, and music videos in the hopes of creating the ultimate guide to a career bigger than the biggest ball of twine in Minnesota. So the next time you're having one of those days stuck in a traffic jam, wondering why does this always happen to me, just kick off your sneakers and stick around for a while because we've got it all on Weird Algorithm, available wherever you get your podcasts. And now you know.
0: We're here to entertain you, we'll sing your songs, for
1: good times, the best times, you can't go wrong, we'll two step, a new step, it won't be long, when the Dixieland is are playing, soon you'll be swaying, so come on, sing
0: along. Join hello and welcome to another episode of Before My Time. I am your host, Kelsey Laurie, and we are here to talk about things that happened, well, you got it, before our time. We are joined, as always, with our beautiful friend and producer, Matt Kelly, and he's going to talk about John Waters. Let's hear it. My mother and father were supportive
2: and horrified. People said, why wouldn't you let your parents in? That's torture, that's parents' abuse. What parent would be proud their son made pink lingoes? Really? I mean, in people's divine parents, how liberal can you be? You're in drag eating dog shit. You know, that's, Dr. Spock didn't tell you what to do in a baby book for that. I get why his parents were uptight. That was the
0: point. Okay, so Matt. We are going to talk about, well, mainly you are going to talk about John Waters, and you are going to educate me on his genius.
2: Yes. So before I even explain why we're talking about John Waters, I want to ask you, what is your knowledge base on John Waters? So I have a starting point.
0: The only film I've seen of John Waters is Crybaby, which I absolutely fucking love. I have, I just need to plug this shamelessly, a Tracy Lords who plays Wanda in Crybaby. She has her own clothing line and I have a Wanda dress that has like Crybaby stuff all over it. It's incredible.
2: Perfect. Okay. That so is done. a that is a great piece of knowledge for reference point. So the reason I wanted us to talk about John Waters today is that this month is the 50 year anniversary of Pink Flamingos, arguably the most infamous film John Waters has made. So for the Geekscape YouTube channel, I rewatched it and am doing kind of a little like five minute why we love Pink Flamingo's video. But John Waters is among my absolute favorite filmmakers. I think that he is a, a genius of bad taste. And I think that He's one of those people that I I have a hard time really recommending to people because it is Mm -hmm. very off-putting what his style Mm -hmm. is. But uh, I think you will like the later half of his career with stuff like Cry Baby. I love Cry Baby. Yeah. John Waters is from Baltimore. He was part of this like 60s, like hippie. Acid filmmaking type thing, very influenced by like Andy Warhol, but also really influenced by like porno chic. So at the time that he was making Pink Flamingos, Deep Throat had come out and had become this like underground film sensation where people were going to midnight screenings of a porno, and like actors and actresses in the film were getting arrested for indecency and and stuff like that. Linda, right? Yes, yes, Linda Lovelace. So John Waters said, if that's getting them arrested for indecency, we need to up the ante. And he created Pink Flamingos with with the goal that he was going to make the most filthy, disgusting film that had ever been committed to film. And I can tell you, rewatching it just last night it is still really disgusting and uncomfortable to watch 50 years after it's been made. It is an exercise in bad taste is what what it's been called. So at the time, it was just him and his friends. They had these old handheld, like crank the side cameras that they had found at Goodwills and they were just making these bizarre films. Their humor was constantly like, how offensive, how crude can we get with this? One of the shorts that they did, was literally there was a radio host whose daughter took acid and jumped out at her bedroom window and died. Mm-hmm. And the same week they had submitted a short film to a film festival based on her suicide. Like they were just like, let's just do it. Why not? So they like had a drag queen play the daughter and just like went wild with it. Right. Mm-hmm. So John Waters was always about like, what can we, how much can we push the limits? How much can we offend? And he came from. This at the time, an extremely underground queer film movement. So all of his uh, actors and actresses, uh, none of them would would be what you would call like falling into that cis binary type of person. Right. Mm -hmm. So a lot of drag queen, a lot of edgy, very counterculture to what was acceptable in the 70s type vibe. So they make this movie and the film is about two families that are battling for the title of filthiest people alive (laughs) so you've got the the lovely divine playing divine and if you're not familiar with divine divine was basically john water's best friend i would argue the most influential drag queen in history if you think of drag queens now uh, i'm sure you've seen victor victoria so as you know like Back in the day, in the 50s, 60s, 70s, the idea of a drag show was essentially, like, how believable can you look like the other sex, Mm -hmm. right? Divine was really the first one to do the exaggerated eyebrows and the gigantic... Yeah, like, as as over the top as you can. And now if you watch RuPaul Drag Race, it's basically just 12 people inspired by Divine's look. Yeah, I didn't realize that this was,
0: like, the first. Because that is, like, the kind of stereotypical, like, baseline drag queen makeup now is, like, the over dramatic kind of like caricature.
2: Yeah. And that was a lot of that is credited to divine because divine was like, I'm never going to look beautiful. So I'm going to look like my version of beautiful, which is like punk rock and weird and, and in your face. So divine is essentially playing herself and she's described in the film as a homicidal maniac cannibal who travels with her traveling companion cookie, her mentally deranged son crackers and her mentally ill mother, Edith, who sits the entire movie, sits in a children's playpen and just yells for how she wants eggs. And it's like a 60-year-old non-actress woman who is very large, missing a bunch of teeth. And she's literally just in her bra panties sitting in this, <laughs> this playpen for the entire duration of the movie, just talking about how much she loves eggs over and over and over again. <laughs> very weird shit. The rival family are the Marbles. Who I'll just say that this is trigger this could be offensively triggering to some people, but it is if you're listening to an episode about John Waters, you know what you're stepping into a little bit. Uh so the marbles on their side of being the filthiest people alive is that they kidnap hitchhikers and then have their manservant impregnate them and then sell the babies to lesbian couples. Oh
0: my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> what are we talking about <laughs> like i'm like oh my mean, i've seen cry this, baby this what movies, the fuck
2: this it's insane and Whoa. then there's a whole lot of like they walk around flashing people just crazy stuff there's the most infamous scene is when divine literally eats dog shit as soon as it falls out of the dog's ass onto the ground what? on oh camera my god, to disgusting. prove that she's the filth it's oh my god it is this
0: i was like i gotta see this movie and now i'm like i don't know if i want to see this no, movie.
2: it is So, so I say this a little bit in the video, but I remember I had heard about this film forever and I got it. It was the second movie I ever got through Netflix. Like
0: actually the DVD in the mail Netflix. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Because I was like, I can't find this anywhere. Like I could not find the movie in any video store. So like when I got Netflix, the first stuff that I put on my list was like stuff that I'd been looking for and couldn't find in the wild. And I remember I watched it. I thought it was the dumbest thing I'd ever seen. And I put it in its disc and I sealed up the envelope and I threw it in my mailbox, like almost disgusted. Like I was like, I cannot have this in my house. And then 24 hours later, I was on Amazon buying a copy of it because (laughs) I couldn't. You're
0: like, I can't stop thinking about it. I
2: couldn't, I couldn't couldn't stop thinking about it. And then, you know, Mr. Cool guy in college. One of the, uh, one of the things that makes me wonder why didn't I get laid more in college is I used to bring my copy of pink flamingos to parties And when it was late in the night and people were like extra drunk, I'd sneak over to the DVD player and just put it on and then watch the mood of the party change. That's not how you get (laughs) laid, Matt. (laughs) Shockingly, it didn't work. Um, But yeah, so he makes this very, very in your face, gross movie. And I'm just scratching the surface. There is God. So there's like a chicken that gets murdered in a part of the movie during a sex scene. It's it's. yeah, this is extreme. And the fact is that it's just him and his friends, and you watch it. And you're like, how convincing could you be to convince all of your friends That's to do this what stuff? I and was he said, "We're just one pot."
0: Yeah, I looked at the budget because I I have it right here, and I was thinking, I was like, who reads this script and goes, "Yeah, I'll I'll do that." Like, I'm going to eat dog shit yeah. and all this, but. It was a twelve thousand dollar
2: budget. Yeah, it was just it was literally just him and his friends. And he says, like the that movie was was fueled by pot and poppers. Like they were just like stoned out of their gourd doing stuff. And he actually tells John Waters now doesn't really make films. He does public speaking. And he'll talk about how much he loved Divine, because unfortunately, Divine passed away mm. right as they were about to really bust into the mainstream. But You know, he said, like, when I talk about, he goes, People always ask me about like Divine eating the dog shit and stuff. And they're like, Wasn't that weird? And he's like, Really? The weirdest thing was that there was no fight about it. Like, I just said, (laughs) Hey, you're going to eat dog shit. And she was like, All right. (laughs) Yeah. Like, wait. And Divine even said, Like, it was something she did absolutely once. And it actually became something that she came to despise because, like, she would get people would mail her poop, like fan mail. Oh
0: my gosh. Um,
2: thinking that that was like a thing that she was into. And she's like, let me make this very clear. That was a one-time thing that I did for a movie. Weird group of people. Movie is like huge underground success. You have the wiki open. Look at what it actually made in the box office on its $12,000 budget. $11 million. Yeah. That's cr- I know. <laughs> was I was
0: like, of- what? Well, because everyone wants to see. I think we've talked about like the forbidden... The yes. more we're like ew, and now like even i'm like i
2: kind of want to see this like <laughs> well and and a lot of people attribute rocky horror for being the first midnight movie but this is this actually mm-hmm. predates it by three years and it was exclusively shown at midnight they would take it to like philadelphia san francisco new york city like those super like left-leaning of course type cities and be and show this at midnight The movie is so offensive and so gross that the trailer doesn't show any footage of the movie. It's just a series of them interviewing people after they've left the movie. And then occasionally it'll cut to a still image and you'll hear the audio from the movie and the crowd reacting to it. (laughs) John Waters has, has said in an interview, and I think that this is actually very true, is he said, like, I could never make another movie like Pink Flamingo's but movies like it still get made and they're called the jackass movies.
0: Mm, yeah, that's so true. It's
2: evolved into to stunts now and he goes and that's essentially I guess what we made was a we had a very loose plot to tie together a bunch of shocking stuff. Sk- yeah, stunts. it was like it
0: was just trying to get like people to do the most obscure things on film. Like you said, like yeah.
2: So John Waters one of the the biggest things for John Waters that I love is he loves campiness. He loves over the top outrageousness. And the dialogue that he writes is so bad and so absurd. And towards the end of the movie, Divine decides that she needs to kill the marbles to to take the throne as the filthiest person alive. And she holds a kangaroo court in front of the press, which is just like four people sitting there with microphones. But there's this brilliant scene where they're just interviewing her. Like she's like, "Ask me more questions." <laughs> and they're like, "Do you like the sight of blood?" And she goes, "I don't just like it. It makes me oh calm."
0: Just like can't you I just don't think you're gonna say something that'll top the last thing you say and then you do it. I'm like, yeah.
2: It's so over the top, it's so outrageous. He he made what he called the trash trilogy, starting with Pink Flamingos, then he made a film called Female Trouble, mm-hmm. and then followed it with a film called Desperate Living. Mm-hmm. I really I appreciate those films for what they are. They're not really my favorites of John Waters. After he does Desperate Living, he makes one last film called Polyester, mm-hmm. which was no, it came out in 1980, uh, and the big thing with that was that it was presented in smellovision. So you were given a card with eight cents on it, and they were all different colors. And while you're watching the movie, the color would pop up, and then you would scratch and sniff the card while you're watching the movie, <laughs> and it would be like, like horrible. The things. joke would, well, no, the joke would be like the first two or three would be like, "Oh my god, let's smell these flowers," and then like you'd smell these flowers. <laughs> And it's like ass yeah, you kind of or... get tricked into thinking like oh it's all going to be good sense, and then about halfway through the movie it just turns into like vomit. It's and like the assholes like... that
0: take those like gross jelly beans and mix them in a jar of regular jelly beans. Have you heard? Yes. that's like that's the meanest thing I've ever heard. But it's like that. That's yeah. yeah. John, he
2: he was a weird guy, but then he disappears from filmmaking for a really long time. Mm. He does polyester, mm-hmm. vanishes, and then in 1988 he's inspired to write a movie based on one of his favorite childhood memories of the 50s, which was going home after school and watching a dancing show local to Baltimore. And he wrote and directed the film Hairspray.
0: Good morning, Baltimore.
2: Which he is listed as a producer of the Broadway show. He has a Tony for his work (laughs) on the Broadway version of it. But I'm not sure if you've ever seen the original Hairspray. I actually haven't.
0: I've heard that it's a lot more, obviously, like crude and gruesome than the... The hairspray we know from Broadway, which is like.
2: <laughs> so his joke with that one, too, during one of his quotes was the most shocking thing about Hairspray was that we got a PG rating on it. Like he did not intend for he everything he had made up until that point. at a minimum was an R. Usually it was an NC 17 X rating. Mm-hmm. But for that one, he got a PG. And I would say if you like Crybaby, you will enjoy Hairspray. Okay. That was kind of what I think became the new version of John Waters. And in my opinion, as much as I do love pink flamingos for what it is, the version of John Waters I like the most, which is he's got his like, Weird, eccentric, campy sensibilities, but it's with a little bit of a bigger budget and it's done for more of a mainstream audience and yeah, it's, it's done not quite to like,
0: like eat dog shit level. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And it, but like even if you think about Crybaby, Crybaby has so many weird, gross moments oh, yeah. throughout it. Like I always think of her like drinking her tears out of the giant yeah. jug of tea. Like like that's that's what you start to see pop up in like hairspray is you'll see stuff like that come into play, where it's like, this is a really normal movie, and in that film, Divine, the great Divine, plays Tracy Turnblatt's
0: mom. Right, okay, and that's where we get that in the show, too. Is That's, that's,
2: that's why it's been traditionally a drag performer. It's actually the biggest strike for me with the Hairspray movie, and this has been uh, a, a problem I've had for a really long time, is that I just don't like John Travolta in that role. I don't
0: either. I wasn't a huge fan of, I mean, I love John Travolta. I just, Hey John.
2: I just think that like the Broadway show, you know, some of the original people to play that role on Broadway are people like Harvey Firestein or Nathan Lane. Mm -hmm. And like that to me is, especially if you've seen the movie Hairspray, like divine, what was beautiful about divine plays it very motherly and very sincere, but divine never really changes his voice when he's in the divine character like he doesn't put on a female voice he just speaks the way Glenn speaks mm-hmm. and I think that was my biggest problem with John Travolta John Travolta is trying so hard to sound like a mother and I think of like the original Broadway mm-hmm. performers when you have like a Harvey Firestein or a Nathan Lane where like could you imagine that movie with Harvey Feierstein just speaking in his normal and it just, yeah. normal like, Well, and I think it's so iconic.
0: Like when you yeah. hear <laughs> like and anytime you listen to the original Broadway recording of uh You Can't Stop the Beat, when he comes in, you know, he's like, And the world keeps spinning round and round, and you know it's like just <laughs> yeah, like, this, like <laughs> dressed as a woman, big, hefty, like that's what made it so uh, iconic in what it was. And I yeah, it's true. That was a
2: bad casting, and I understand. Why they casted it the way that they did? Obviously, you know they didn't have a ton of faith that people wanted to see a hairspray musical in theaters, and you just kind of go with
0: everyone would have. Everyone still
2: would have seen it because
0: we're in that people would have remaking seen it musicals and, and loved in it. the movies now, which I have mixed emotions about it. But yeah, it's hard. It's hard to make I, better than the than the show, and it's rare.
2: I would rather and I think you and I have talked about this, I would rather see a lot more of like what they did with Hamilton. Like get some drones in there and film the actual performance yeah, for me. I'm,
0: I'm mixed on it because uh, we're going off on a little tangent here. Sorry guys. A little Broadway talk. I do like to see movie ad- adaptations. I think it's, it's interesting because you can, the thing that's fun about stage is you have to be so creative and there's this really awesome, like the way it's staged and, and all that is really cool. But That can only be done on stage. So sometimes I think it's fun to be able to see someone's adaptation through film when they do have kind of this unlimited realm of actually creating these places and sets versus just having someone stand on stage and you're just taking the audience there more through imagination, which is part of the beautiful part. So creative wise, I do think it is fun to see. Like I think Chicago is one of the all time best films adapted from a stage show. They just fucking crushed Chicago. They casted it perfect. They filmed it perfect the way they did it. And so that's a great example. Like we get films like that where it's like, oh my God, this is awesome. Versus I'm going to, this is personal for me. I did the national tour of Rock of Ages, for those of you who didn't know. And I think that was one of the worst films. Like they totally fucked it up. Uh, Don't ever see that movie. You guys like wait and go see it on stage because it's one of the best shows And that's a good example of like, it doesn't always work. So it's interesting kind of where it's going, but anyways, tangent over.
1: Put down that smartphone and listen to me. I'm Matthew Milligan, professional musician and lifelong Weird Al fan.
2: Let's let's talk about hairspray. Well, there's a really great quote that John Waters had about the hairspray musical that I actually legitimately love. Like for for a guy who is more known for having ab- abstract sentences and. You know, he speaks very comedically about Mm -hmm. stuff. So he said, at the end of the day, Hairspray is the only truly subversive film that I've ever made because of it. Now they're doing it in every high school in America with a man performing as a woman and two men singing a love song to each other and the biggest girl in school getting to be a star. Mm -hmm. And like, I I kind of think that that's a, a really genuinely sweet look at like what. He's he's done and I want to bring it back to Pink Flamingos because I did find this quote the other day and he said, I don't think that Pink Flamingos is my best movie, but God knows that the day I die, it's going to be the first paragraph of my obituary. It helped make trash more respectable, and it lasted longer than I ever would have imagined. I still meet young kids who have just seen it for the first time, and they react with the same disbelief as the people who saw it in 1972, and I'm proud of that. It was made as a way to make fun of censorship laws at the time, and all of that has kind of faded. But if we hadn't done the scene where Divine eats dog shit, then Johnny Knoxville would have just done it at Jackass. Those are the only films that have the true spirit of Pink Flamingos in them.
0: I love how much he like respects Jackass and knows that he paved the way and is like, we're pioneers and they're continuing it on. (laughs) I mean, we all love Jackass for what it is, but I I love how much he. Yeah, My my dad took me to see Jackass in the theaters and my mom didn't know because I was very young. (laughs) and She was pissed. And I was like, thanks, Dad. That was awesome. So, Dad, we should go see the third one. They're coming out with a new one. We should go.
2: It's already out. Sneaks and Burma. good. In it. What? It's oh, good. Dad, let's
0: watch Jackass. Okay, anyways. He
2: would talk about, I'm just looking at famous John Waters quotes, but this was about seeing Wizard of Oz for the first time. Mm-hmm. And he goes, they throw water on the witch. And she says, who would have thought a good little girl could destroy my beautiful wickedness? And that line really inspired my life. Sometimes I say it to myself before I go to sleep, like a small prayer. That just
0: really sum up. You know, it's, oh my gosh. Can we talk more about Crybaby? Because obviously, not just because it's the one I've seen, but I really do. I saw it later. Um, I had a friend, Rachel, in high school, and she had the Crybaby poster in her room. And we were all going through like our Johnny Depp phase where I was like, oh my God, I love Johnny Depp. Still love you. Still love you, Johnny. And she was like, how can you have not seen Crybaby? And so I finally watched it and I was like, Oh God, I love Johnny Moore. But this is, I am obsessed with this film for kind of like what you said, the campy. I do like the over-the-top campiness. It's not a movie I would recommend to everyone. Kind of what you said. I mean, I don't think I'd recommend Pink Flamingos from the sound of it to anyone, but... Um, no. <laughs> I could see that style where it's kind of these like bright colors and very unrealistic. But it, I love the playing into the, the typical 50s rebel delinquents. You know, I absolutely love Tracy Lords in this movie. She... I just want to well, be fucking Wanda and her beat it creep. Like that kind of so switchblade you, knife, like it's leather pencil skirts and it's great.
2: So there's a fun story about Tracy Lords on the set of Crybaby. John Waters, another thing that you'll notice a lot is that his casting, even in something like Crybaby, is very abstract, right? Like yeah. you think of someone who plays Hatchet Face. I was just going to say right? Mona, like,
0: Hatchet Face. Like what a. What a crazy character. So
2: here's a story to explain a little bit of the John Waters set. Because a lot of the people in Crybaby are from Pink Flamingos. He has used the same okay. friend actors in every movie as long as they've been alive. Obviously, unfortunately, being part of the the gay scene during the 70s, a lot of them are no longer with us. Yeah. Um, and, and Divine actually... Died right after Hairspray came out, but of heart failure. But a lot of the other ones did die of HIV and AIDS complications. Um, but while they were making Cry Baby, it said during the shooting of the movie Cry Baby, the FBI frequently visited the set to search for co-star Tracy Lords, who was being investigated about her porn past. To help put her at ease, the cast and the crew would sit with her and talk about all of their many police convictions and violations from making pink flamingos in other films. Oh, I love so that. Like- what
0: a what a good sense of filming community. I'm obsessed with the movie Zack and Mary Make a Porno, which Tracy Lords is in. If you haven't seen it, watch it. I think it's one of the best rom coms because that's what it is. In an interview they they positioned her or um offered her the role and, and gave her the script and she's like i can't be in a movie with the name porno in it like that's i'm trying to get away from that past and then she said she read the script she's like i read the script and was like i have to be in this movie and she does a phenomenal job in it and i just i yeah tracy There's i bubbles. love you her name <laughs> bubbles i i'm just in love with her i think she's a beautiful woman she's funny she's phenomenal her clothing line is it's very 1940s 50s vamp and so it's right up yes. my alley. It's stunning. Clothing line is stunning, Tracy. Good work.
2: Well, and Crybaby is also a really good example of something else that is a common thread in a lot of John Waters' films. Mm-hmm. Is he has as a as a child who grew up in the 50s, he has a 50s aesthetic that kind of carries through all of his films in different ways. Now, obviously, Pink Flamingo is, is taking place in 1972, but all of the music in it is B sides of old fifties records. Mm-hmm. So it's like Frankie, um, not Frankie Valley. It was the, the one who did, um, teenager in love Frankie Lyman.
0: Oh yeah. He had
2: another single called I am not a juvenile delinquent. That's in the movie. Oh, I actually
0: know
2: that song. Yeah. All of his movies always have these 50 songs in it. Hairspray. Takes place in that late 50s, early 60s feeling. So does Crybaby. Um, The next film he did was 1994's Serial Mom, starring Kathleen Turner, which is also, even though it takes place in the 90s, is very 50s esque in its design because it's basically what if Mrs. Cleaver from Leave It to Beaver was also a serial killer?
0: I need to see
2: this. Uh, Mm -hmm. Matthew Lillard's in it Tracy Lord or not Tracy Lord Ricky Lake Ricky Lake Ricky Lake is in it Matthew Lillard's in it
0: I love him oh my gosh
2: yeah he's it's one of his first movies he plays her son this is great it's and then he did Pecker which was actually the first movie I ever saw by him um, starring Edward Furlong and Christina Ricci obviously I was a big Christina Ricci fan so I checked it out and it's uh, a very satirical this is where the late 90s into the 2000s he got a little bit more into this weird satire about the art scene as a whole Mm -hmm. pecker is essentially about this plucky kid with a camera who just takes pictures of the things that he finds interesting and becomes like the beloved artist of the new york underground and it kind of slowly ruins his life and his relationship so he decides that he doesn't want to do art for the masses he just wants to do art for the people that he loves and stay in close with um and then he followed that up very quickly with cecil b demented uh which was a film about uh, guerrilla filmmakers, uh, and it's like, I'm trying to remember his name. The guy who played Vinny Chase in all of Entourage is one of the stars of Stephen
0: it. Stephen Dorff? Oh, Adrian G- Greener. Yes, the main Adrian guy. Greener. Oh, yeah. yeah, holy shit. So
2: the concept of this movie is it's a group of diehard filmmakers who hate what Hollywood has done to cinema, so they literally will just, like, do terroristic attacks at movies that they don't
0: holy like. Holy crap, this cast is incredible
2: john waters really developed his biggest his biggest moment and he's said this before is he was a guest on the simpsons and he was like more people know me for one episode of the simpsons than anything else where he played uh if you're a simpsons fan he played a character named john who was homer's first experience meeting a gay man and he ran a shop that was all like kitschy stuff and it was it was a uh, an episode of simpsons against homophobia essentially it was called homophobia is the name mm. of the episode then he did really his last movie was in 2004 starring johnny knoxville that's what i just saw. called a dirty shame
0: i love johnny knoxville big crush on him
2: and then he i've never seen this i want to see it he produced and directed a film <laughs> called kitty flamingos and all it is is a bunch of child actors under the age of 10 doing a script reading of Pink Flamingos.
0: Oh my gosh, don't do that. that. Isn't that illegal? I think that's illegal. <laughs> pretty sure that's illegal.
2: I'm so curious to watch this where it's just like, here's these kids and they're just gonna read this crazy dialogue that I'm I wrote when I was a child. But yeah, then he you know, has pretty much become like he's a frequent contributor to a lot of magazines. Uh, you'll find if you look when the end of the year comes around, very often people tout like, What did John Waters think was the best movie of the year? Mm -hmm. And a big portion of that is because like he's picked films like Antichrist. Like it's usually like those really in your face subversive films. Like if you're someone who wants to watch a movie that came out that year that you haven't heard of and you want something that feels dangerous, like you shouldn't be watching it he's usually the guy that's got that recommendation for the end of the year. So he's, he's kind of continued to be like he he's advertises the Pope of trash, but I'm, I just saw that literally this Friday, he was on an episode of marvelous Mrs. Maisel. So like he continues to be in the public eye at, I mean, I think he's something like 80 years old almost, but he is continued to, to persevere as this person that people look up to. And, and in a weird way, He's kind of got this like, you know how people, there's no unkind words that anybody has for Mr. Rogers or like Bob Ross or even like a weird Al Yankovic. Like there's these certain celebrities that that they're just overwhelming goodness mm-hmm. in the world. Mm-hmm. Like he's almost like the trashy, mean-spirited version of that where He's really never done anything where people are like, oh, he's a bad person. He just
0: writes these like crazy things that people associate with bad. But it sounds like he really like is like the father of a world of misfits and so that makes him such like a giving person to this world of people that like don't quote unquote fit in which is like I'm kind of going through and it's like oh that's like the theme of the story obviously I do know the story of Hairspray and Crybaby and this and it's kind of this like it's always the underdog or it's a lot of like two people who shouldn't be together because of society's image or fits it's like going against that which obviously he is that in his own life which is really cool.
2: Yeah, there's a there's a very common theme that carries through a lot mm-hmm. of his films. And and like I said, I think that that sweet spot is that late 80s into the early 2000s period where he was like really doing some nice satirical stuff with big like big, like you said, like the cast of Cecil B. De is insane. Mm-hmm. Like it is a stacked cast. Even a Dirty Shame has like a really big cast of like Johnny Knoxville, Tracy Ullman, Selma Blair. Like there's yeah, like there's big name actors. yeah. Who want to work with him because like Johnny Depp wanted to break away from his like 21 Jump Street teen boy teen heartthrobness. And he was like, I need to make a movie with John Waters. Like that was like, like, I believe he agreed to cry baby before he ever read the script because he was like,
0: I don't care what it if is. John
2: Waters is making it. It will be And that was kind of his drive for it. When Hairspray, the Broadway show blew up, he continued to live in Baltimore. Like if you go to Baltimore, you can usually find him at a local bar and like he'll chat with you. Um, One of my favorite lines that he ever said was, I have the best type of fans because the only people that recognize me are people I want to talk to. He had been asked, why have you never left Baltimore? Like you make movies and you do Broadway shows like you should be living in New York or you should be living in L.A. And I think about this quote so much. But he said, "New York and L.A. are filled with a bunch of regular people who think that they're eccentric, but Baltimore's filled with a bunch of eccentric people that think that they're normal." <laughs> <laughs> and like, awesome. There's there's filmmakers that we talk with, Tim Burton I think is a prime example of a, Tim, uh, a similar filmmaker where it's like you watch their film and if you've watched enough of their movies, you could be flipping through the channels and find a Tim Burton movie that you never knew existed, but as soon as you see it, you're like, that's, that's Tim, Tim Burton. Burton.
0: Right, they have such a like and, def- definite style.
2: Yeah, and that, I think, is John Waters to a T, is like, with his dialogue mm-hmm. and with his visuals, you see it and you're like... Because even Cry Baby, Cry Baby again, the, the monologues in those movies are so outrageous, oh, they're and they're so overly long, amazing. and they're so <laughs> drawn out and dramatic. And that's kind of his writing, is it's like, let's just be so over the top with these big, dramatic monologues that kind of just say the same thing like eight times, but in different ways. Mm -hmm. So I I think while I would never say, hey, sit down and watch Pink Flamingos, I really think you would love, especially Hairspray and Serial Mom. I could see you being like, these are my That's, favorite Yeah, ones. Painful Flamingos,
0: I'll probably skim through just out of curiosity now, but I i know I probably don't want to really sit down and watch that whole thing, to be honest. But um, Hairspray, Serial Moms looks like, even all, of, like, from Crybaby on, that looks like my jam. So I'm I'm excited yeah. to dive into those movies, because... Yeah,
2: Yeah, I but, you know, happy 50 years to Pink Flamingos. You you wild, crazy movie. I, I blazing trails, though. It's definitely one of those things where. The 70s have that interesting aesthetic where a lot of the stuff is outdated and doesn't and isn't as effective as it used to be. But then you do have like a Pink Flamingos or Blazing Saddles where it's like. That stuff was subversive then and it's still subversive now. Blazing, <laughs> like, Blazing Saddles it, is one of the all-time best movies ever made, just putting that out there. Yes. That's why I look I <laughs> had to bring it back to things that you know, right? Like I threw to Crybaby, Thanks. threw to musical theater. Yeah. I know how to I know how to juggle the topic Great. to keep you involved. No. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Give me more questions.
2: Divine, are you a lesbian?
1: Yes, I have done everything. Does blood turn you on? It does more than turn me on, Mr. Vader. It makes me come, And more than the sight of it, I love the taste of it. The taste of hot, freshly killed blood.
2: Could you give us some of your political beliefs?
1: Kill everyone now.
2: So, Gelsey. So, mad. Now you know everything about John Waters. Every, I'm um, going to go write a book. So, here's my <laughs> question. So, actually, fun fact. I didn't even get into this. I can't believe I didn't get into this. So there's one woman from Pink Flamingos that is still alive and has appeared in every John Waters movie named Mink Stole. When I first started podcasting over 10 years ago, probably this was almost 15 years ago, I got a chance to go to her home in Baltimore and <gasps> interview her because she oh, was cool. putting out, she put out music. She does like, thirties and forties, like Dixieland music. Cool. So she was was promoting an album and I hit her up and she was like, yeah, come over and and we'll just sit in my apartment and do the interview. So I go and I sit in her apartment and we do this like 20 minute interview. And then I start packing up my stuff and she's like, do you want a cup of tea or anything? And I was like, sure. So she makes a cup of tea and then she just, she's like, here, sit at the table. And I sit at the table and she pulls out a photo album and shows me all of the photos of her on the sets of all these different John Waters movies. Oh, that's movies. really cool. It was it was really a magical moment. I. It's also one of those moments where the producer in me is like, God damn it, I should have been recording it because like that right. conversation was like so interesting. And she was like, Oh, this be is in me the moment,
0: tra- Matt. Yeah, yeah just she's just be like, in Oh, the this moment is me sometimes. with
2: Tracy, and and I ended up staying at her place for like two hours <laughs> as she so just cool. like talked about those days and. And all this stuff, but I've always dreamed of writing a movie about the making of Pink Flamingos because it is a very fascinating story of like a bunch of weird friends just kind of Mm -hmm. doing whatever it takes to make a movie. As I said, John Waters is one of my favorite filmmakers, so I am curious, who is like one of your absolute favorite, like you love the aesthetic of their films, you're just obsessed with them as a filmmaker?
0: Mm, that's a really hard question. I hate that, like, I mean, for sure one of them is Tim Burton. Yeah. And I feel like that's such a stereotypical, like, everyone would say that, but I really grew up at a young age obsessed with his work. I mean, yeah. Beetlejuice was my all-time favorite movie. I loved, Sleepy Hollow was my first rated R movie. Yeah. Thanks, Mom and Dad. Um, you know, like, I kind of loved, I was this, like, really bubbly, blonde, girly girl, and I loved the dark side of things and it's gr- kind of made me who i am now growing up and it was kind of this funny uh polar opposite of who i was um and i was always so attracted to it and so i i do i will say i absolutely love tim burton there's and you know no what? Shame a lot of people that. give him give the shit of like the newer stuff being like oh he sold out this that i still like everything he's putting out i'm like this is just a fun good time like maybe it's not as bizarre and dark and deep as the older stuff but I'll I'll go watch it. You know, I know this is going to be one of those, you always are so good at getting me off my balance with these questions where I'm like, I know in like two hours, I'm going to think of so many good answers. Of course, yeah, Tim Burton. But I can't say no. You know, I, I want to be like, eh, you know, of course we all love George Lucas films. Those are obvious and it's like, they're all great, but I, I can't really say I have anyone else that's like popping in my head right away. I don't think that there's a lot of that has such an extreme style. That's yeah, right. like there's a lot of say. filmmakers that I'm like, "Oh, I love all their movies," but like stylistically someone that has such an extreme. You know, Wes Anderson. I fucking love Wes Anderson I films and those are agree. so stylistically, like the color scheme and hues he uses and the kind of real dry monotone. I Grand Budapest Hotel is one of my favorite movies. I think it's a perfect film. Life Aquatic. um, They're all so good. Darjeeling Express. Like, um, yeah, he he has a really cool style.
2: You know who else I would say has a really, like, like we were saying with John Waters and Tim Burton, like if you had never seen one of those movies and you were flipping through channel and you saw a film that you hadn't seen before, you'd still be like, that's definitely them, is um, Edgar Wright. I think Edgar Wright has a very like specific style with the way he cuts stuff so like Shaun of the dead hot yes, fuzz okay. like scott pilgrim like he has that very quick cut close-up cut close-up cut close-up type editing yeah. style that like yeah sticks to- and even um what's his face the guy uh, guy richie who did like snatch and love stock yeah. and two smoking barrels has a very sim- like there are those yeah. guys who have a very i wouldn't say that their visual style stands out but when you're watching the editing you're like this has to be blank
0: yeah now now that you're going through um martin mcdonough he did um seven psychopaths and he also did in bruges and oh, he has yes. a real dark humor and his style i seven psychopaths is another one of my all-time favorite movies i need I to finally see
2: this movie i haven't oh, seen this movie and you're gonna so go many crazy. people have told I me that i'll love it i'm obsessed
0: so. with it i have a huge thing for sam rockwell so he's in it and it's one of his best movies i think like Sam, I think you're married, but you can divorce her and marry me. It's fine. Um, I've like same, thrown same out Sam. proposals to so many people. No, 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 um, no that's Colin fine, Farrell, I, Woody Harrelson, uh... <laughs> Chris Christopher Walken—they're all in this movie, and it's it's such a kooky, funny, but really dark, dark movie. That's I don't kind think of I it was the guy way. who did in
2: Bruges because I uh-huh, love and in it Bruges.
0: Has, then you'll love Seven. It's the same because Colin Farrell is in both, and I I love him as an actor too. He picks really awesome roles and is dead sexy. But this—it's that same kind of really dark humor that it's. It's one of my favorite movies. You have to see it, Matt. I'll watch okay. all of the John Waters movies, and you have to watch Seven Psychopaths.
2: All right, so if anyone else wants to tell me that I should watch Seven Psychopaths, where are some of the best ways that they can do that? They can tell you to
0: watch Seven Psychopaths on Instagram. Our handle is at Time underscore podcast. And on Facebook, just search Before My Time. We will pop up, say hey, hi, hello, and write on the wall that Matt should watch Seven Psychopaths. Also, since you're here, why don't you just give us a five-star review? Because it's really cute. That's a cute thing to do. And we like to be cute and nice. Thank you so much for listening, guys. We love you as always, and I appreciate you so much and all your support. Until next time.
1: You're listening to the Geekscape Network. Put down that smartphone and listen to me. I'm Matthew Milligan, professional musician and lifelong Weird Al fan. Each week, I'm joined by professional podcaster and close personal friend, Matt Kelly, to take a dive off the deep end into the vast career of pop culture icon Weird Al Yankovic on our show, Weird Algorithm. Along with some very special guests from the worlds of music and comedy, we tackle every song, every television appearance, and every bit of sketch comedy Al has produced, in chronological order, covering the good old days of My Bologna and Eat It, the fun zone of Tacky and White and Nerdy, and everything in between. As we go, we're ranking the songs, albums, and music videos, in the hopes of creating the ultimate guide to a career bigger than the biggest ball of twine in Minnesota. So the next time you're having one of those days stuck in a traffic jam, wondering why does this always happen to me? Just kick off your sneakers and stick around for a while because we've got it all on Weird Algorithm, available wherever you get your podcasts. And now, you know, was that enough references?
2: You're listening to the Geekscape Network.